everybody. Welcome to Bible study. You're glad you're here. Oh, did I just say that? Okay. Yeah. So let's start our time in prayer, and uh, we'll see what God does here tonight. Father, thanks for loving us, and thank you, God, for your presence here. We have gathered in the name of Jesus. We ask you uh, that we would know your presence tonight, that we would sense, we would know, we would feel, we would uh, really benefit from your presence in some tangible way, God, to revelation, through understanding, through your love being poured out, your grace, your mercy, your uh, just just pour out on us, your wisdom, God. Father, we just ask that you would be glorified here in this place. I pray that we'd have open hearts and open minds to receive what you want to say and what you want to do. We give you thanks tonight. We ask that you lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. If you need a Bible, some are available on the tables. They're hidden around the room like Easter eggs. And uh, you can open them up and find your spiritual prize tonight <laughs> in each one. Yeah. So, so go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to open up to Matthew 25 as you're turning there. Just a reminder, we have an interactive feature with our Bible study. It's uh, called Speak Pipe, and it's an opportunity to interact with us, ask a question, make a comment. Uh, you go to the website, www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And you can click on a button there. It works like voicemail and leave your message, your question or whatever it is, and we'll try to get to that. Also, our uh, there was a Bible study that was posted last week. I did a Bible study while in Shanghai, and so in the youth hostel. I have a very low voice in it because I had some kind of upper respiratory thing going on. I still do a little bit, but it was worse, so... I have some kind of weird low voice thing going on. So, so like no, I wasn't disguised at all. It wasn't on purpose. It was just the way it was, and that was how, what happened. But it is available. Uh, same place. If you get our podcast, you can also find that one there, uh, live from Shanghai, China, where I was last week. At this time, so Matthew twenty five twenty nine. Uh, actually, we need to back it up a little bit. Uh, Matthew twenty five twenty nine is the verse I want to look at tonight, but if we could back it up to verse 14, and I get somebody to read those verses. A lot of verses, uh, Matthew twenty five fourteen, and maybe stop at verse 29, if someone can do that, because it tells a story that we need to hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. While he was gone, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward 
with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling a small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I know you are a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid you I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Then the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant! If you knew I har harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. All right, thanks for reading that. I want to talk about a law here uh, that's expressed in extreme general terms. Because that's what is being said here. It's extreme general terms. Something that Jesus wanted to say. And normally you look at what Jesus says a lot of times it's very specific to certain things. It could be specific to a certain person. Other times he speaks things that aren't specific at all. Uh, they're just statements that he makes that this is truth, this is real, this is life, this is who we are, this is how it works. And so this is a parable of, that, that he starts it off by saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So Because he wants us to understand something about the kingdom of heaven, the reign and rule of heaven. Like In other words, whenever heaven is reigning and ruling, God's place, God's dwelling, where God is, the principles of who He is, and all that takes place there, His values, His understandings, His revelations. Right? That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And so He said, the rule and reign of heaven, this is what it's like. So He wanted to give an idea to His listeners who He was speaking to, He wanted them to understand what the kingdom of heaven's like. And so then He tells this parable to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like, and He ends it with an expression of extreme general terms. Alright? That's how he ends it. And so he wants to, the people to understand something about the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of God, what God values, how God thinks. Because that's what he's talking about. Can you get a hold of that just for a second? Because people are like, well, who knows what God thinks? Well, sometimes you do. Because he's expressed it. Sometimes he's given us ways that he thinks and principles that we're to gather ourselves and, and to apply into our own lives because they're valuable to him. They're principles that he lives by, principles that he holds dear, things that he believes and knows and things that he wants. And he shares those things with us. And when he does that, we can ignore it, which a lot of times we do. Or we can really take it to heart and look at it and say, well, here's what he says by this. And if he gives us a, a really super general 
expression, a really super general term by which we can base a principle and base our lives on, it applies to a lot of different places in our life. You understand what I'm saying? To him who has, what? More will be given. Has what? He didn't say, did he? He didn't say. Now, in, in, if you have an older Bible, when she was reading, they were using terms to five, she said bags of silver. Well, what's in the old Bible? What, what is it? Talents. talents. And what do we consider talents? I mean, talents was a measure of money back then, of silver. That's why it says bags of silver. So a talent was a measure of money back then. But through the years, what does talent come to mean to us? Abilities. Alright, so even by the very expression of the meaning of the words that are used in the parable, it's become even more generalized. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, our understanding of what a talent went from a specific amount of silver to abilities and, and, and ways of doing things or, or talent, you know, like we think of a talent like a, a natural thing that we can do or something that's been cultivated in us, like music or singing or, or writing or whatever, or poetry or whatever it would be having to do with the arts. Or it could be something having to do with business. People are very talented at that. Or it could be something else could be something sports or, or physically oriented. How Some people are just talented baseball players or talented hockey players or whatever it is. But you see how that word, even of itself, has become generalized. Because this is a general principle. And this is something that Jesus spoke so that we could generalize it, so that we could apply it to things, more things in our life. So to him who has been given... To him who, who has, more will be given. And, and what has, to him who has not, what does it say? Even what he has will be taken away. Alright, so here you have, it's a law. It's a principle. It's a value of the kingdom. It's a value of heaven. It's a value of God. And I want you to think about how that isn't a value of the people around you. Because it's not for most people. It's not. Because they don't think in those terms. And some of us, when we were raised, we weren't raised to think in those terms. In other words, we were taught something else. We were taught that the way the world works is X, Y, or Z. But not that. And so because of that, we have an idea about how the world works. And about how the kingdom works. And about how God works. Based on what? Based on our idea, right? Well... If God's idea and God's expression and God's revelation contradicts our idea, guess what's going to happen to our experiences in the world and with God? Things aren't going to make any sense. Because we're basing something on an idea that's in us. Or maybe it was in our mom or in our dad or in our parents somewhere or in our society or wherever it came from that we have this idea in us and things just aren't working out that way. That's frustrating. That's maddening. That makes us angry because it's not working out the way that we think it's supposed to work out. But that happens a lot. Here's an example, though, of something that we've been given the right idea. Jesus said, this is how it works. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is how it works. I want you to understand this. I'm going to lay down a general principle that you need to begin to understand and apply to your lives. Because if you apply this general principle, this law, to your life, 
And the way you see the world and the way you're defining the world and the way that you're, you're coming up with how God works in the world, if you take this and you apply it to that, things will work. It'll make sense. In fact, it'll simplify things. Less frustration, less anxiety, right? All that stuff that we hate. More peace, more love, more joy, all the stuff we want. But part of it is changing our minds and being willing to do that. When we're confronted with something that's different than what we thought, it's on us. It's on us. It's, the, it's imperative that we change our minds. Or we're going to just keep fighting against what God has clearly said He's doing. And the way that He's ordered things and the way that He wants things to be. Because you fight against order, you know you're fighting against God's order. And you may not define it that way at first. You may have, you know, look into different things. Oh, I'm confused, or I don't know what to do, or I'm not sure, or whatever it is, and you act all confused. But when it comes right down to it, there's probably a conflict between something that you want to think, something you have thought, and something you're protecting in your mind versus what God says, and what God's revealed, and what God's bringing to pass in your life. And you can trace it to probably a bad idea. And not really taking hold of something that God, as far as I'm concerned, that God's already revealed in general terms and maybe then revealed something specific to you that matches that. So, what these verses tell us is that there's an abundance for those who are vested in what God is doing. And by that I mean how he does it his way. And so those who will invest themselves, invest themselves into what God is saying, what God has revealed, the principles of his kingdom, the laws of his kingdom, they'll invest themselves in the sense that they're willing to change their minds and take hold of what he's saying. If they will put themselves in that position, they find themselves vested in the kingdom, they find themselves in abundance. Now what do I mean by abundance? They're going to be rich? That's not what I mean. I mean, they're always going to be happy and, and everything's always going to go their way. Nope. Nope. There, there were 12 or more. There were more than that, but at least 12 disciples that found out the hard way that life didn't turn out the way that they thought it was going to. But they still lived in abundance. That their life that they lived every single day was a life of abundance. Can I explain that? Probably not. Probably not. But their purpose was clear, their vision was clear, the power of God was clear in them and through them, and they were doing exactly what God had for them to do until the day they died. That's abundance. And the rest of the world doesn't understand that. The people around them didn't understand. Probably some of their families didn't understand that. That's okay. They were called. They were the ones that were empowered. They were the ones that were given the vision. They were the ones that were taught. They were the ones that were discipled. They were the ones that, that were given the truth. And they were either going to live it or they weren't. But when they did live it, and they decided to live it, and they gave them their lives over, they, they were vested in the kingdom. They were vested in, in, in what God was saying, what God was doing. And their minds were changed. They moved from a place of fear, from a place of cowardice, from a place of ineffectiveness, into a place of abundance in their life. And if you describe abundance in, 
in, in the currency of what? In the currency of boldness? Had plenty of it. In the currency of effectiveness for the kingdom? Plenty of that. The, the, the currency of power? And being moved on in the power of the Holy Spirit, being moved on in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they, they lived in abundance. Moved on in purpose and future and, and God's plan for their life, they, they moved, they were in abundance. See, they had all that. But what about the stuff they didn't have? That they left their families to do what Jesus told them to do. They, they left their, their employment. They left their, their inheritance, they left their riches, they left their homes, they left whatever they left to follow after Jesus. The world would look at that and say, well, what are you doing? That's not the abundance I'm talking about. And I don't know that's the abundance the Bible talks about either. Because all everybody that talks about abundance in other terms, it's like all you have to do is go back to Jesus and the disciples. They were, they were walking through fields picking grain in the beggar's portion of the field. On a, on a Sabbath, no less, is how they got in trouble. That's not the abundance these guys are talking about. But they were sure living in abundance. So there again, there's a word we use. Probably has a different meaning than we think. We need to correct that. So, those that are vested. So in other words, the, the servants were given... Silver, talents, bags of silver, whatever you want to call it. They were given something though. And what was the criteria of what they were given? It says it in the verses. It's kind of an interesting thing that they say there. What was the criteria the master uses to give them? You already have something. Well, we'll read what it says. Yeah, I mean, yes. In proportion to their abilities. So what that implies is what Patrick just said. But I just wanted to say that. That the master looked at his servants and he says, okay, I'm going to give this out in the proportion of their abilities. Well, how do you know what their abilities were? And how did, But how does he know? What's the tangible evidence of their abilities? What do you think? Based on what they produce. Right. So the one who had produced more, that's the tangible evidence of his ability. The master gave the most to, right? And the one that produced the second amount more, he gave... The second amount to, and the one that produced the least amount of the three, he gave the least amount to. Because he knew what their abilities were. So, in other words, he didn't, he didn't overburden anybody. He didn't give anybody anything they couldn't handle. He just gave them what he knew they could handle. He's the master. He knows. And so in his wisdom, and in his judgment, which is perfect, he gave them what they could handle. So, the, 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 the issue then becomes, and, and this, for me, this is the real issue to this, is you got the ten, the five, and you got the, the ten, or the five, the two, and the one. Is what they were given. Five, the two, and the one. No servant, though, no, none of those three servants were called to idleness. Not one of them. In other words, it wasn't, he didn't say, okay, here you go, here you go, here you go, just rest with that, and I'll be back in a while. They weren't called to idleness. They were called to work that, whatever they were handed. They were called to do something with it. They were called to move forward with it. You see that, and, and you see that same principle, this law, you see it in nature. You see it in society and in, in different ways. I mean, think about like in nature, think about the human body. If you don't use a limb 
for a specified amount of time. What happens to that limb? Okay, it dies out, right? Does it get weak? Right, right. And if you've ever had a broken limb or you've had something immobilized for an extended period of time, you know that that's a fact. That that limb, if you don't use it, if you don't move it, if you don't do something with it, it just gets weak. And over time, it atrophies and it just dies out. And you can't use it anymore. And that's just the way it is. And that's just a human body. So, wouldn't you have to like, stop using both ones? Because isn't there like, some kind of balance of power? Like if you work out one arm, that it helps keep the other one toned? I mean, that's, that's what they used to say. I don't know about that. Because okay. I know when I've had surgeries, like I've had surgery on my shoulder... And when I have when I had surgery on my shoulder, even though I I was cheating and still using it, I couldn't do the same things I could do with my left arm. Okay, but what I what I chose to do, and it's kind of in line with what you just said, I chose to only do with my left arm what I did with my right arm, because I didn't want my left arm to be stronger than my right arm, even though it would be naturally because it wasn't operated on. But I had to start over from a place of weakness when it was better and build back up on both sides so that I'd be where I wanted to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a balance. I forced it kind of because I wanted to make sure that I was able to start working again. Because one, I mean, I just really believe in balance. I just do. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I just believe in it. And so I was going to practice that, and that's what I did. But you know, if you ever had a broken leg and you can't use it, I mean, rehab is tough. And if you ever had to rehab anything, you've ever had to go through rehab with anything, it's tough. You know, I had to do that. Both my knees were, were surgically repaired. So I had to rehab each side at different times. And, and I see people who are rehabbing, like they're having joint replacements and things like that. I mean, that's, that's hard. That's hard. And so, nature teaches us this. Do you get that? This is a law. You know how, you know, there are laws. This is one of those laws. It's like, nature teaches this. What about society? Think about the laws of man, even the way that we have chosen to govern ourselves and the laws that we go by. Uh, for example, if you own a piece of land, right? And you just ignore that piece of land long enough, what's going to happen? What? And but what's going to ultimately happen if you don't do anything with it over time? Hmm? It'll become property of somebody else. Okay? If you don't use it and you ignore it long enough, that land will become somebody else's. You lose it. So even our own laws, like our physical laws, like that are on the books, teach us this. You see, this is a spiritual law, but it applies to our bodies, it applies to our society, it applies to just about everything around us. Even though we want to say something else, and some of us think something else, this is something that's just a part of who we are as human beings. We can't ignore it. We can try. And we can try to teach something else, or we can try to believe something else, but when it comes right down to it, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Human beings are like this. This is who we are. 
And so changing our minds toward this, changing our minds to this, will eliminate a huge frustration in our lives if we're not believing this or we're not living it. Because you think to yourself, well, that's not fair. It has nothing to do with being fair. It's what it is. I'm not even trying to... to there's no argument about it. There's no argument about fairness, not fairness, you know, or anything else. It's like, it's like trying to argue with the law of gravity. Is the law of gravity fair? Yes. How? Well, yeah, but how come some people can jump higher than others? How come some people fall down harder than others? How come when I fall, I don't get hurt, but somebody else falls in the same spot and they, they hurt themselves? I mean, it, is it really fair? Yes, of course it is. Who cares? It doesn't matter if it's fair. But the application of it sometimes doesn't appear to be, is all I'm saying. Otherwise, I'd be dunking the basketball all over the place. So, so in, in, in some kind of biased view, and this is what I'm getting at, in some kind of biased view, the law of gravity is unfair. Because it seems that some people are treated differently than other people by it. Is that really true? No, not really. Same with this law. No one's treated any differently by this law than the other person. It just is what it is. Now, if you have a biased perspective, you might think it's unfair. If you're being treated poorly, it seems like you're being treated poorly by it. Then you think, well, this is unfair. But is it unfair? No, it's just a law. All right? It's just what it is. It's a spiritual principle that God laid out and He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven's like. So in, in my understanding of that, all right, this creates a privilege for us to live in. Okay, if you look at, uh, somebody look at Matthew 13, 12. Just turn back there a little bit. I'm just going to look at that verse and come back to Matthew 25. But Matthew 13, 12, tell me what that says. Whoever has been given more, hmm? whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. <clears throat> whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. All right. Now, this is another place in the book of Matthew, right? So, this is like a proverb. This is understood as a proverb. Understood is that this is how things work. So, we receive a privilege to move by our call. By what God speaks into our life. You know, the Bible sometimes talks about that how people were constrained to do something. If you look in uh, Acts, you see that a couple of places in Acts 18.5 or Acts 20.22. 20, you see people being constrained by the Spirit, constrained by God to stay in a place or to preach the gospel or to go and do this thing. You see, that's our privilege. We have that opportunity. We have an opportunity to follow after a call that's been given to us, to move into, invest ourselves into that. And what God has. And, and when we do that, there's an abundance there. That's why it's a privilege. God says, here, I got this for you. All right. You know, people fight their call. Fighting what? The best thing they could possibly do with their life. They're going to fight it. 
the place of abundance for their life. They're going to fight it. To do what? What they want to do? I guess. I guess that's, that's how it works. Somebody look at John 1.16. Alright, so what that verse says, and there's other verses in the Bible, I just picked that one out of the Gospel, but it talks about a multiplication in our life. Of all kinds of stuff. You want, you want grace, well you live in grace. You want mercy, you live in mercy. You want forgiveness, you live in forgiveness. You want love, you live in love. You want hope, you want more hope, you need to live in hope. See, there's a multiplication in the kingdom. There's a principle, there's a spiritual thing that happens. That, that even as we're being transformed, we're being transformed from glory to ever-increasing glory. See, that, that multiplication principle is just a part of what God says. And so if you have, you get more. And that's the way it is. And that's what God says. And so He gives us according to our ability. He gives us what? Whatever. And so it is within our ability of whatever God gives us, whether it's vision, whether it's call, whatever it is, it's giftings, it's, it's provision, it's whatever it is, but it's within the scope of who we are as people. That we have every opportunity to act on that and to move in that, and if we do, regardless if it's five, two, or one, doesn't matter, we will be given more. And we can live in abundance. The five, two, and one are arbitrary in a sense. They illustrate the different places that people can be in, but they're arbitrary in this sense that if we will take what we have, what God has given us, we will invest ourselves into it, then we'll live in a place of abundance. Same as the guy who had five, the guy that had two, or the guy who had one. But the issue is taking that which we have and investing ourselves into it. Doing nothing, doing nothing, no one's been called to that. Ever. Ever. So, we've got that side of it. you got the side of it, whoever has more will be given. There's an abundance in that. The other side of it is fear. The other side of it is fear. You think about the three servants, what were the three servants? You had the guy who had five... He made five. Guy had two. He made two. But they both hear from the master. Well done, right? Good and faithful servant. Good job. But you got the one guy who lived in fear. And, and so if there's an abundance for those who are vested, there's nothing for those who live in fear. Nothing. Nothing. Now, I should make that nicer, right? I should make that nicer. I should say there's maybe something. No. There's nothing for those who choose to live in fear. Nothing. Nothing. And what do I mean by living in fear? I mean all kinds of lies that we tell ourselves. What are those lies? Let me give you a few. Here's a few. Uh, here's things you can think to yourself. Wow, it's really impossible to please God. Some people think that. you probably met people who think that. I try all I can, but I can never please Him. 
Or what about those are the people that say it's like, uh, it's vain to really, it's, I, I'm serving God in vain. Nothing ever happens. That's a lie. That's a lie. I mean, and people who believe those kind of lies, they don't do anything. They don't do anything. And they justify not doing anything. And all I'm trying to say here is that there is no justification to, to not do anything. Because nothing will happen for those who live in fear. Nothing. And people make up things so they can live in fear. God requires more than we're capable of. No, He doesn't. No, He doesn't. And yet people will lie to themselves and they will say that. It's too great for me. I just can't do it. Well, no. No, because He only gives you what's in proportion to what you can handle. And everything else is a lie. But that lie might be good enough to keep you from trying and justify you doing nothing. You know, or another lie, God punishes people for what can't be helped. I couldn't help it. And I got punished for it. That's a lie. But see, all of those lies, and I'm not saying, and some of those lies you can say are people who don't know God or whatever. I'd say some of those guys are, some of those lies are from people who call themselves Christians. Because I've heard them over the years. I've heard every single one of those. And I've heard people preach them too. Absolutely. And it's wrong. It is wrong. It's a lie. And we have to get away from that. We have to train our minds to something else. It has to happen. Because if you're going to choose to live in fear and you're going to pretend and you're going to make stuff up so that you can justify living in fear, you get nothing. Nothing. My life stinks, right? I understand that. I get it. I don't know how to help you. I want you to get up and do something. I want you to. I really do. But you're living in fear, and I know what you're going to get for that. You know what you're going to get for that? Nothing. I can't even encourage you with anything. I can encourage you to get out of fear. I can encourage you, and I can tell you the truth. And I can tell you to tell yourself the truth. And I can do that over and over and over again, like I do. I can do it over and over and over again. But I can't tell you that it's going to get better unless that changes. It's just got to change. And every now and then, we've got to put ourselves in a position where we evaluate, what am I thinking? How am I thinking about this? Well, how am I seeing the world? Or how am I seeing God? And all that. We need to evaluate that, and we need to change our minds to what He's already revealed about it. This is how He thinks. I think differently. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And we can't just keep making things up. And see, what it ends up being is that people generally... And I'm going to say that people generally don't like the God they create themselves. People generally don't like the God that they create for themselves. Because a lot of times he looks way too much like they do. And that's a real problem. You can't expect that God, your every thought you have is in line with what God thinks. You can't expect that. He's a real person. And he has his own thoughts. And so your thoughts are your thoughts, his thoughts are his thoughts, and those two things aren't going to be the same all the time. And you can't expect that. And so what, what, what really it comes down to is what do you do when you're faced in that situation? With that situation, what do you do? Do you change your mind? Right? Or do you just make something up? Well, 
he doesn't change his mind. He says that. He, he says that about himself. He, he says, I'm the Lord, I change not. Who really changes? Who really changes, though? What really changes in that? I don't know. Moses, God was saying, uh, these people you let out of Israel, he goes, I'm going to destroy them. They're worshiping a calf. They're not worshiping me. And God said, these people you let out of Israel, why would you destroy them? Right. Let Pharaoh see that you took them out of the desert to kill and destroy your own people, and it says God relented. But did he change in any way? Or is he a God of grace and mercy the whole time? Absolutely. Right. But was that exercise? It was an exercise in intercession. Yeah. That's what intercession is all about. But it's based on who God is. That Moses would even go after that. Because yeah. he had an understanding of God and his personality. So, I mean, right. That part of it, yes. The part that I'm saying is, is that he doesn't all of a sudden change from being a God of grace and mercy to screw these people. You understand what I mean? So we, we get that, because even Moses, he got frustrated with them, right? And if he could have changed God's mind to not be grace and not be mercy, then he would have changed his mind and they would have been destroyed. Alright, so God was the consistent one through the whole thing. You know, even though there was an exercise in intercession that took place there, which I fully believe and we do the same things with God. But even when we intercede, and I want you to think about this, it seems like a situation is coming down that doesn't seem right, and we intercede and we see that situation change. The principle by which it changes by, and our faith is based on, is on who God is and who He's revealed Himself to be. And we have to have a faith and an understanding in that in order to be effective as intercessors. Well, he did change his mind based on the intercession of Moses. No, no, he did. And, and there were other times, too, where, um, like, hmm? yeah, or, or you think about, like, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? And, and Abraham and how he, he bargained with him for less people, less people, less people. Right. Yeah, so that intercession was effective. But what was that intercession based on? A relationship with a God he knew to be grace and mercy. And so he negotiated for his family. But his nature never changed. Right. His mind changed in that situation. His nature of grace and mercy was constant. And the intercession that took place, and this is the important part to me, the intercession that took place by whoever was interceding, whether it be Moses or whether it be Abraham or whoever it was, was based on who God is. Okay, that's the important part to me. Right, right. That he believed that despite what he saw. Okay, and that puts us in a position to change things. Like you want to see your world and you want to change things, you want to see things change, then it starts with you knowing who God is. And regardless of what you see or regardless of what you hear going on around you, you're going to stick to the God that you know. And you will pray through whatever that circumstance is in order to see that God that you know come through as to who He is. That, that's the nature of it. 
right? That's the nature of intercession. And you will see things change. You'll see it change. You can see the weather change. You can see circumstances change. You can see uh, the way people are acting change. You can see nations change. Cities change. Towns change. Families change. Based on that. Because you know. And we're going through this time now of, of celebration. Part of what I'm hoping to see happen during the time of celebration is that we get to know God better. That we see Him for who He really is. That we really experience Him for who He really is. And we carry that with us wherever we go. That we're the catalyst in situations. We're the catalyst in circumstances with a God that loves us so much. A God that cares for us. A God of grace and mercy. All this that He's just pouring out into our lives right now. That we bring that and we take that wherever we go. That we become those kind of people that see things change. I mean, I believe, and I, and I continue to believe it, that, that when I go somewhere, I really believe God's going to change something. I really believe it. Every time. And there's certain things, there are times like, I just got back from China, and I've been there a number of times. And from the time I first was there until the time I was there this time, I've seen things changing. Can I explain that? Probably not. I don't, I don't even know how I would begin to do that. But I can tell there's more light. I can tell there's more freedom. I can tell there's more liberty. At least the places I go, I can see it. And I can see a hunger in people. Things change. Because we serve a God who wills that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come into relationship with Him. That's who we're serving. I know that. I know that He, he wills that none of those people should ever perish. In their ignorance. They shouldn't. And that's his will. That's his plan. Well I get in line with that will. I pray into that will. I pray for that place. And I pray for those people. Based on the fact that I know he loves them. For God so loved the world. All them people too. I know it. So every prayer. Every intercession. Comes out of a knowledge of. This is the God I serve. This is the God I'm praying to. This is my intercession. I'm God, I'm praying to you on behalf of these people based on who you are. I'm not making it up. I'm not manufacturing something. I'm not trying to, to manufacture something that's going to happen or whatever. I just know who God is. And I'm going to pray to Him and I'm going to intercede for these people based on who He is. Not on what I want. Not on what I think. Not on what I think is right or just or good or whatever. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. Only thing that matters in that whole scenario is what he thinks and how he is and who he is. And I'll pray and I'll intercede based on that because all my ideas and all the things I think and the stuff I make up, that doesn't produce anything. That's a waste of time. You know what that produces? Nothing. Nothing. And that's the whole point. It's nothing. Except for frustration and nothing except for being angry about stupid stuff that, that is my, I'm doing anyway. It's my thing. And so I'm angry about it. Or I'm anxious about it. Or I have stress about it. Or whatever it is. Or I'm bitter. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what he said. Even what you have, why? It gets taken away. Right. It's worse than nothing. Because it's just becoming this own life of bitterness. It's become its own life of anger and of frustration and of just being you know, stressed out. And it's nothing. It's really nothing. And so it becomes a useless situation and it perpetuates itself. So we miss it. We miss it. We miss the visitation. We miss the blessing. We miss His grace. We miss the revelation. That's what we miss. We miss all the good stuff. All the good stuff that He has for us because we're not vested in what He's doing. We're not vested in who He is. We have our own made up thing that produces nothing. Instead of <coughs> Him. Everything comes from Him. And so as God reveals and God gives according to our ability, we need to invest into that. We need to take that and, and put it to work. Whatever that is. Just put it to work. Because away from that, as I was just describing, and he describes it here, is that darkness, frustration, sadness, hopelessness. Call it weeping and gnashing of teeth. Go ahead. Darkness? Yeah. Yeah, you don't think you've had a taste of that? You don't think we've all had a taste of that? In our lives? Sure we have. Darkness? Bitterness? Anger? Frustration? Sadness? Hopelessness? We've all had a taste of that. I don't want it. I don't want it. But that's where nothingness leads to. That's where the nothing goes. And you find yourself there. It's like, why am I here? Well, you got all your lies you can depend on. Stuff you make up. It's God's fault. It's God's this. God that. God whatever. God, yeah, yeah, whatever. Getting any better thinking all that stuff? No. Helping you out? No. Feeling any better? No. You less bitter? No. Blaming God? I should feel better. Don't feel any better. Getting worse. Because that isn't the answer. Making more stuff up isn't the answer for making stuff up. Lying to yourself isn't the answer for lies. It doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. It's nothing. It's nothing. You know, what does Solomon say in Ecclesiastes? It's just vanity. It's nothing. And it really is. So where are we? Where I want you to be is abundance. I want you to get that in your head. Abundance. And how, how do you get to that place? Invest yourself in what God has for you. What's God given you? I don't, I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. Does it matter if it's five things? Nope. Does it matter if it's two things? No. Does it matter if it's one thing? Nope. You take hold of that and you do something with it. Do something. That's everything I've ever understood about the kingdom. Everything. Man, I, and on every level, when I came, became a Christian, that was the absolute gospel to me. I went to the pastor of the church I was going to. I was attending a church. Pastor, what can I do? He said, you know, whatever he said. 
He had me go out and scrape a building, scrape a house, and paint it, prime it and paint it. So you know what I did? I got a scraper, I went out, I scraped that house, I primed it, and I painted it. Okay, what can I do now? Oh, uh, you can do this. And I went out and I did it, and this, and this. I got my first job at church. You know what my first job was? First thing I ever got paid for in a church, I was a janitor. First thing I got paid for. And I was a good janitor. And then he had, then I, I got to do the bulletin on, on the mimeograph machine and pass that out. And then I got to do a, and then I got to go and, and do, um, a newspaper ad for the church I had to put in every week. I did that. Man, I added the, I did the best I could at that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I got to, uh, and, and I could go on and on about cleaning the hymnals. I cleaned the heck out of those hymnals, man. Hmm? Yeah. Just stuff that you have to do. Yeah. And so, I had to do all this stuff. And it was like, you know, then I got more and more and more. And eventually, I got to work with the Royal Rangers. They're like Christian Boy Scouts. Yeah, I got to do that. And then after a while, I got to work with the youth. And I was a youth pastor. And I was still working on campus and, and stuff. And those are just the physical things. You know, you talk about spiritual gifts. And, and uh, God, the first gift that I ever received was the gift of tongues. And I just pray in tongues all the time. Just pray in tongues. I mean, I, I just prayed in tongues. There it was. What do you want me to do? I'll pray in tongues. And then, and then it was the, I got to interpret tongues. That was the second gift I got. So I was, I was waiting for people to speak in tongues. So I could interpret it, even though I was scared. My, my wanting to invest in what God had was more than being afraid. Because you know what fear does? It leads you to nothing. You know what investing in something does? It leads you to more. And to another gift. And to another thing. And another anointing. And to something else that God was going to do. And that's just me. Alright. I, I get a hold of something. And I just get a hold of it. And I don't like to let go of it. And I'll, I'll tear it up. Alright. Because that's what I like. I like it. I want to encourage you some of that. Maybe not as weird as I am. But something... That, that you can get a hold of in your life and really invest yourself into it. Because that's where the good stuff happens. That's where the abundance is. Right in that. And so, I wanna, I wanna pray for those of us that are still living in fear. And I really do. I wanna pray for you to get loose of that. And, and, and at the same time I'm praying that for you, I've really gotta encourage you at the same time because it's just as important Invest yourself into what God has given you. I mean, really invest yourself. And and don't believe the lies and don't believe the, the stuff you make up. Really? Don't. Because what that fear is, and you're making up stuff mainly because you're afraid. But what that fear is, there's nothing. Nothing. Except for all that stuff I said, uh, the darkness and the frustration, sadness, hopeless and all that... You know, I don't want to miss God's visitation when He comes. He does show up, you know. He shows up when we meet together. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss His blessing, His grace, or His revelation. I don't want to miss any of those things. When He shows up. I want to be aware and open and ready. Well, that, that kind of blessing comes 
as we invest ourselves. I'm going to invest myself in prayer. I'm going to invest myself into worship. I'm going to invest myself into reading the Word. I'm going to invest myself in this practicing, spending time in God's presence. I'm going to invest myself into those things. And you know what happens when you do that? Really neat things happen. I mean, really, really amazing, miraculous things happen when you do that. All right. Okay. I'm going to pray for you, and then if you have any questions when I'm done praying, I'll take questions. All right. Let me pray for you first. Father, I just, uh, I pray for each of us here, and I break fear over your people, God, in the name of Jesus. I break fear over our hearts, fear over our minds, and fear over our lives in Jesus' name. I break its power. I break its power in our lives. I break its power in its control over some of us. I I break its power and the lies and the stuff we make up. I just break that power of deception over your people, God, here and now in Jesus' name. God, I ask you that you would set people free. That you would set us free. Because God, we were given the opportunity of so much good. We're given the opportunity of so much blessing. We're given the opportunity of so much abundance in our life. Of stuff that really matters. I pray we can take hold of our share of whatever it is you've handed out according to our ability. No fear. No fear of fit. There's no failure. Just take hold of it and move forward with it in Jesus' name. God, I pray for a new light to shine in our hearts, a new light to shine in our minds. And I pray, Father, we take hold of that which you've given us and we go. We just go. We move. We do. We, we, we invest, God. Because, Lord, I thank you for your blessing and I thank you for your abundance. We're ready to receive, God. We're ready to receive all that you have. If we ask it in Jesus' name, let's agree by saying amen. 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 All right, any questions or comments? Anything you want to say? Yes. Intercession is normally referred to, it's, it's, it's actually trying to affect a situation for something or somebody. Right? In other words, interceding is, is standing in and, and really being with somebody or in, with a situation and saying, I want to see some kind of change. In prayer, it's when we put ourselves in that position. Like that there's a gap between that thing that's in need and, and, you know, what our faith is in God or whatever, we're in between those two things and we're kind of bringing them together. All right, and so the the picture of that that I have in my head is that as we're bringing them together, we're taking a true understanding of God. We're taking a true understanding of the situation we're praying for and we're joining those two things together. And that's the place where God moves. Because we're putting ourselves in a position where we're we're declaring the God that we know, the God of grace, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God who cares, the God who loves. That's what we're doing. And, and all whatever is in between or whatever's happening, that's not the important part. The important part is Him. The important part is His response to whatever it is we're praying for. And so that affects the situation. It changes things. 
There's a more textbook definition of intercession, but I, that's because I can explain it right now. Anybody else? All righty then. All right, thanks for coming, everybody. It was good to see you, and we'll see you again soon.